Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Romans chapter 4. We'll be there this morning together. In my heart of hearts, this is a capstone. This is a, uh, hey, we've been studying uh, promises of God in the Older Testament for four weeks. And so this is the the final statement of the Christmas season, if you will, of uh, what we're doing with these promises and how to receive. Really, that's the question. What does God want from me in response to the promises that we've been examining over this Advent season? And that's where we're going to go this morning together. So I invite you, if you would, uh, to uh, open your scriptures, your uh, copy of God's Word, Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 13 uh, down through verse 17. And we may look at some further verses as well in our study of this passage. So Romans 4.13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherence for if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null. And the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law. But also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so, Father, as we come to this passage, I I just pray for help. You gave us the promise that while we remain here in this season, between the cross, Jesus' first coming, and Jesus' second coming, that by the presence of the Holy Spirit, you are with us here. Help no one here to confuse, or no one watching this video online or joining us as a part of the live stream confuse and think that, well, Christmas really is mostly about a baby. Help us with that and help us to see how Christmas is about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Christmas is about believing you wholeheartedly. We need help. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, do you have friends like that? They're like, uh, why are you Christians? I mean, I get it, you know, the baby, Christmas season, I get all of that. But you guys are like obsessed you're really obsessed with this whole Christmas and keep Christ in, in Christmas thing. Maybe, maybe like almost unhealthy way, like too much already. And if we live in a world where it's like uh, comparative religions, like we think, okay, well, the, the real goal of, of religion is make people better. Let us be a more morally kind and morally 
sort of uh, becoming, if that's the goal, then uh, I would quite frankly agree with, with our friends who have that concern. If the goal is just like, hey, everybody's trying to kick through and be the best version of ourselves that we can, that we can be, then uh, we don't need to be so obsessed with Jesus. In fact, this passage says that. We can just rely on any and every religious system in the world that, whose goal is to try to improve us a little bit and just say, well, all right, everybody should just kick through. You and I, we, in these last four weeks, we went through this, this study of the scriptures, the Older Testament, where we said uh, uh, these scriptures are pointing to huge billboards about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we said, if you remember back in week one, when we looked at Micah chapter five and verse two, hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming, billboard number one, watch for this people. When you see that there's this king, this baby that's born in Bethlehem, that's the one you should look to. And then if you'll recall, it was week two and we looked at Isaiah chapter seven. Here's another billboard. It's a big sign to the whole world, not just born in Bethlehem, this baby will be born to a virgin. And so the, the sign, the, the news will get out, this baby is born to a, a, a virgin. Well, that's a big sign. That didn't happen every day, it didn't happen at all. Third sign, not only are, are the, these two signs going to happen, but the third sign is uh, we're going to have a prophet come ahead of the king to pave the way, prepare the way for this king. So when you see that, 700 years ahead of time, when you see that there's this prophet that comes, now keep in mind, in between the Old and the New Testament, there is these 400 years of silence where actually Malachi ends with, there's not going to be any more word from God for quite a while. So there had been hundreds of years of silence where there was no prophet. Big billboard. When someone takes up the prophetic ministry again, and says, prepare the way. I'm not the one. Look to the one who's coming who's not me. Look to the one who's coming who can take away the sin of the world. Pay attention. And so the idea that those three huge billboards would all come to be at once is profound. Especially when you consider it's been hundreds of years in the prophesying. The fourth sign that we looked at last week was that this king, he wasn't coming for the Jews only. Now, we would be aware of that if we just read the Older Testament. We know that Jesus isn't going to be one to save the Jews only. He didn't come to serve the Jews only. He came from the Jewish people, Abraham, to save the whole world. And so last week we looked at this reality. This is going to be a king who's Praise and name goes out to all the nations of the earth. To the end of his kingdom around the world is just not going to be any end. We're going to see him constantly. And so when you put all of those things together, you say, well, okay, we got the right baby. But here we're going back to our introduction. Having, the, having God being able to tell us hundreds of years ahead of time that we've got the right baby in our world today is not all that compelling. Okay. So God predicted the baby, right time, right city, we got the, the baby. Why is that such a big deal? And what does God require of me? 
And today we're answering that question from Romans chapter 4. It's a big deal because that baby was not just the correct baby. He was God incarnate. He is God incarnate. He wasn't going to uh, just uh, go through 33 years and try to make a little bit better world and try to inspire people as Gary's been teaching. He's not just a teacher. He's not an inspirer. He's king of kings and lord of lords. On his shoulders, the government of the world will be placed and is placed now. He perfectly accomplishes the law. And so Jesus is such a big deal because he's not just the right baby. He's the only one who could set all things right. He's the only one that can give you hope that after you breathe your last in this body, there is hope for a future. He's the only one who can... uh, be with you and and, uh, promise and fulfill the promise of uh, keeping God's presence with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but that's where we're going with this message today. So what does God require of you? Here's what it is. He requires that you believe him, that you believe him. Here's the working definition we're going to go with today. Faith, belief, And by the way, if you look through Romans chapter 4, the whole passage, uh, I believe there's 9 or 10 or maybe even 11 different places where faith is talked about. Believe. Believe me. And so faith is a growing certainty. It's a constant reliance on God, including his work and his promise. That's what faith is all about. That's what God wants from you, to completely believe him. And that's what Abraham did. That's why we're looking here at this, at this passage today. So the, we're looking at this to say, okay, well, let's look at this, this case study. So before we go to our first point, just a, a word about this. When we talk about growing certainty, we get that from this passage. If you look at, uh, down at verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 19, he did not weaken in faith. He didn't decrease in faith. When he saw, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Some of you are here this morning. It's been a long weekend. You've had a lot of pie, and you feel like your body is as good as dead, right? You identify with Abraham. The promise that God made to Abraham was that through him, he was going to uh, bring into being this, uh, uh, th- this nation, that, that Abraham was going to be the father of, the, of, of a, a future nation. We'll look at that in a minute. Here's the point, though, that no distrust made him waver concerning this promise of God, but he grew strong. See that in verse 20? Romans 4:20. he grew strong. And that's why I... I Define faith as a growing certainty in God. Including his works and his promise. And we could say it like this, including the past, his works, all the things he did to bring us to be with him, his works, and his promise, the future. All the things that he is still going to do in the future to continue to keep us with him. Jesus completely fulfilled the covenant. And the terms of the deal are never going to change because Jesus is risen from the dead. So we can trust Jesus. There's not going to come a day in the future where some surprise happens and, and God changes the, the, uh, the terms of the deal. 
going to always look to Jesus. So, faith is a growing certainty, a constant reliance on God, including his works and his promise. And we'll go back to that several times throughout the, the message this morning. So, let's, let's look at what God wants from us, okay? Faith believes God. Faith believes God. Now, we've already touched on this. I'm not saying, like, believe in God, You know, scriptures teach us that we must believe in God. But in our culture today, when we say, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? We give the illusion or the the implication that we just want people to to mentally agree with us that there must be a God out there somewhere. Do you believe in God? On the the level of, um, do you believe in the, uh, the keto diet? I'm a big keto diet guy. I mean, I should be a bigger deal. Not during Christmas, I'm not. Do you believe in mutual fund investing instead of um, some other kind of investing? Do you believe in UFOs? And we make this believe in kind of phraseology about God as if it's an option, as if it's a subset, as if it's some wild group of fringe people who somehow still believe in those kinds of things. And so here this morning, when you talk, when I talk to you about faith in God, can I just tell you, I was typing a sermon, this message out, and my notes out for this this week. Microsoft Word would not let me write, believe God. It wouldn't let me say, uh, uh, all the people of the world ought to believe God. Now, it would let me write it, but then it would underscore it with some kind of red thing and say, oh, you mean that all the people should believe in God. And I kept saying, no, that's not what I want to say. I want to say, people believe God. And it would underscore it. And so I had to like teach my dictionary. I mean to say that. Learn this. I'm saying what I want to say. Believe God. So if you believe God, if you believe in God and you're here as a a Christmas uh, favor to your parent or you're young in terms of your understanding what the scriptures say or you're, you've been here for 20 years and you still don't buy in, can I just tell you something? Welcome. We're really glad you're here. If you believe in God and that's your starting point today and that's as much as you can get your brain around right now, it's where we all start. We all starting, there must be some God out there someplace. And we're inviting you to the next step. And that is to see what it looks like to believe everything that God has said to us. And so, case study, Abraham. Abraham did not have a category for believe in God. Uh, Abraham assumed everyone on earth at that time believed in God. So when God came to him and said, here's what's going to happen to you in Genesis chapter 12, I am going to make you, I will make of you a great nation. For several years, that's all Abraham had. He had a word from God that was like, I'm going to make you a great nation. He didn't really know what that meant. He was old. We've already established later in this in Romans chapter 4. How in the world, God, are you going to make a great nation for me? I'm about 100 years old, and my wife can no longer have children. So Abraham heard, oh, that's a good plan. I think what I'm going to do is help God out with his plan. I'm going to take some steps behind the scenes, because I know, generally speaking, where God wants me to go. So I'm just going to do this in my own strength. You ever do that? Like, I know, generally speaking, what I want God to do for me, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to 
argue with my son about Jesus Christ. I'm going to argue because generally speaking, it's good if I win an argument about Jesus. I know there's a financial thing that I want to see happen. So even if I have to go into debt or if I have to go without prayer or if I have to pay my own way, I'm going to make it happen in my own strength. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go in there with my, my own mindset. And so we do the same thing. Abraham had some information, but not all the information. And he was left with these questions. How and when? And we're left with the same questions today. We know somehow and when. We know that Jesus Christ came to to die in our place and that he rose again the third day. Some of the questions are answered, but you and I, to this day, we are left with some doubts in our hearts some, or some unanswered questions, I should say. And, and so Abraham believes this, but he didn't understand how. And faith is sometimes like that. Note back in our text now, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring... That he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, so we're learning a lot about Abraham and his faith in this this, uh, verse here. As we look to this idea that he is the heir of the world. And if you're like me, ask the question, what does that mean? He's the heir of the world. That's not a very common phrase. We have at least three concepts that that covers in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Because you remember, he had a promise, I will make you a great nation. God comes to him a few, year, a few years later and says, this is what I mean by that. Number one, I'm going to give you a lot of land. So there's a promised land that, we, that Abraham will receive as a part of the covenant from God. He will get land. And so when we read in the New Testament that the meek will inherit the earth, and when we read here in verse 13 that we will be heir of the world, we're we're putting pieces together. Those who know Jesus and follow after him, we have a future inheritance. We don't have to worry about where we're going to live and where we're going to live forever. That's all taken care of. The second part of that covenant is it involves people. So it involves a blessing to the people of all the nations of the world and involves a special blessing to the people of God, those of faith. And then finally, we see that uh, the idea of this heir of the world is that through Abraham, the Redeemer would come. And that's where it all came to a head for Abraham in Genesis 15. Abraham got a word from God through you, through your own body, there will be a male heir. That male heir will produce a people. Though That people will eventually produce the one who will take away the sins of the world. And Abraham, as early as Genesis 15, goes, oh, I don't have to take things into my own hands anymore. I don't have to do it in my own strength. I don't have to force the issue. I don't have to worry and fret and work physically to make things happen. I trust the Lord. And so as early as Genesis 15, uh, Abraham looks ahead and says, okay, there is a future offspring who will take away the sins of the world. And so Abraham's faith is now informed and it's growing and it's quite amazing that he trusted him like that that early. 
hey, listen, you don't have the same kind of what I'll call crisis of faith that Abraham has. Because God didn't show up to you last night and tell you a specific promise about your life that's only for you. And so what do we take from that? There's at least two ways in which your faith needs to be increasing. It needs to be growing as you are living your life. Faith believes God. What does faith believe about God? Number one, first thing we believe about God is his word. We believe his word. Faith goes after the word of God with everything we had, with everything we have. We want to understand it. Guys, the scriptures is a, what we call a closed canon. What does that mean? It just means we have everything that God is going to reveal to us about himself until he returns. We got it all. If that's true and I believe God, then I am intensely committed to knowing what his word says to me for my life right now. I want to understand Genesis and I want to understand Revelation. I want to understand the, the mission that God has for me. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. I want to understand everything that God has said because none of it is superfluous and none of it is sort of sidelined and none of it is irrelevant. You spend your life like that? God's word is so relevant. And we increase in faith as we come to a new part of this and go, okay, this is true. This is from the Lord. He has kept it. He has preserved it. We have it in our language in this day. And we're coming after it going, okay, well, what does this mean in my life? And so one of the ways that we increase in faith is by understanding the fullness of the counsel of God and then prioritizing it as our main concern in this world. Sometimes I prioritize stupid stuff. Sometimes I spend time, lots of time, maybe with, think, with things that don't matter. The scriptures from God for you and for me, and that's not to say that if you believe God, you will never spend any minutes on anything except scriptures, but it is, say, it is to say that this is going to be a main priority of our life, to meditate upon it, to understand it, to listen to podcasts, to put it together, to think it through, to memorize to pray it back to the Lord, that the scriptures becomes a major, major part of our life when we are people of faith. So is that true of you? You believe God like that? Here's a second way in which God won't let our faith stay stagnant or stay where it was. And I'm going to put it like this. New seasons help you understand the scriptures in new ways. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I would go to James chapter 1, where James tells us to count it all joy, brothers, when you have all sorts of various kinds of afflictions. I believe God, and now my loved one has divorced me. I believe God, and now I have no money whatsoever and no way to pay my bills. I believe God, and now the wheels are off the cart of my life. I believe God and now my loved one is no longer here with me. I believe God and now the doctor is looking at me and saying, how many days or weeks or months? 
Count it all joy, brothers. We're not making trite. This is not trite. It's not joyful to experience trouble and problem and affliction. What's joyful is that God shows up for us in that affliction and you learn something new when life batters you and hurts you and bruises you in ways that you could never imagine and you find out God is real in that moment. He's there for you. And we come back to the scriptures. Here. I want to learn everything I can about what God said. And then I want to hold to it with all of my strength when life is difficult for me and when affliction comes my way. Faith is an increase. And guess what happens then? By the way, that happened to Abraham. I understood it this much. And then I had doubts. What did Abraham do when he had doubts? He waited for God to come back to him. Now, first he took some things into his own hand, but then God came back to him and he learned what God meant, and he trusted him. He believed him, and he grew through it. He didn't neglect the word. He went back to, to God and got the truth of the, of the word, and then it was confirmed in his heart. So guys, if you are going through the hardest or difficult passage of your life, if you're going through in life in 2021 was difficult, uh, can I just welcome you to a place where we don't have all the answers, where, where we start off and, and we, uh, we have questions and we have missteps and we misunderstood God at first and we thought things were going to uh, turn out a different way. We come to this place where we are just saying, okay, Lord, in the midst of this, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you when it hurts. And in this new season, when, when there is no way for me to have predicted how I would have gotten here and there is no resource that I possess to make something happen, I believe that you are good and you're going to carry me through this. And he will. It's not joyful to go through affliction, but it's joyful to find that God is faithful in affliction. Faith is a growing certainty, a constant reliance on God, including his, his works and his promise. And faith increases as we understand the word more and as we trust the word in hardness, in hardness. Secondly, I want us to see that we not only uh, believe God, we happily shine a spotlight on Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. Um, verse 22 says, that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. We're going to talk about righteousness, righteousness in just a minute. Verse 23 says, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake. How will Abraham be counted righteous? And some people would say, well, by keeping the, the law. Now, Jewish people at the time would say, of course, that's not how. Number one, uh, this whole passage, Romans 4, if you read it later this week, you'll find out the law didn't even come until 400 plus years later. Of course, Abraham wasn't right with God and in right relationship with God by keeping the law. And those who read the Old Testament well, Jewish scholars and, and those who, who had faith in a coming Messiah, they all knew that. Don't, don't let yourself think that in the Old Testament, lots of people thought that we should keep the law and that's how we'll be right with God. Nobody thought that in the Old Testament. They thought, we're trusting the promise that there will be a savior who comes through Abraham, the people of the Jews, the Jewish people, who will take away the sins of the world. Faith. Faith. 
The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe, here we go, in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Uh, faith happily shines the spotlight on Jesus. Christians are all about Jesus. Christians are all about shining the spotlight. And by the way, shining the spotlight, that's just another phrase for glorify. Christians glorify Jesus. We look to him. We think of him. We understand that in him we have life. Okay? Uh, so Abraham was counted righteous, not because he kept the law, not because he was Jewish, but because he believed God's promise. And Jesus, as we look to him, it's not just that he did all these things accurately. Again, Christmas isn't about, okay, we got the right baby here. Christmas is about the one, the only one, who could fulfill the law perfectly for you. The one, the only one, who is God incarnate. The, on, the only one who could die in your place. The only one whose resurrection the third day could guarantee that you will live forever if you place your faith, if you believe him. The only one who could send the uh, Holy Spirit to us in this day so that we can have fellowship with, be righteous before God. The only one who will return again and set everything in order according to his purpose. Jesus is the only one who can do those things. Psalm 110 says that uh, uh, he is God himself, that this baby is God. And so when we say at Christmas time, when we say Emmanuel, God with us, we mean it. And so faith comes to this realization that Jesus is the one and only, that Jesus' death bought us, and that Jesus' resurrection is for us. We sang this song earlier, and by the way, uh, I've forgotten that we were singing it this morning. So the last thing in this morning, um, before I went in to pray with the pastors, uh, I, prayed, I played this song in my office, and I turned it up a little, probably too loud. Uh, Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. What a powerful name it is. And friends, faith, believing God, makes it all about Jesus. And finally, this morning, believing God, faith, changes everything in your life. If we say we're not a, just a real like study of world religions where we're all trying to be a little bit better, we say we're not comparative religions, we say that Christianity is different categorically, categorically than any other world religion, we say that because Jesus is risen from the dead and, and God reigns over this world. So as we look to this passage, take, take a look at verse um, 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. So here is the picture of our lives, okay? Foundational 
course number one in the huge building. Here it is. God is. God is. He exists. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. He, those who come to God must believe that he is. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. Course number one, God is. Course number two, we just read it. Grace and promise. God gives. If God, the bottom base foundation of the building that we are believing in and living in, if he isn't gracious and kind, we have no hope. What this passage says is we can't earn it. We can't go get it. We can't perform well enough. We can't ever get to a point where we say, God, look at what I've done for you. We can't go there because the law condemns. Base number one, God is. Base number two, God is gracious and makes a promise. Base number three, believe it. Your response to believe based on God's grace, he gives based on who he is. Now, all that to say, if we, when we believe that, then we say, okay, but to fix my life and to have happiness in this world and to live my life, I am going to return to the comparative religion sort of thing. I'm going to do things the way everyone in the world around me does them. I'm just going to keep going with what the world around me says is valuable and important. I'm going to live my life based on what they say is important. Then we're kidding ourselves. The whole world says, you say Jesus, you deal with your trauma the same way I deal with my trauma. You say Jesus, you deal with your finances the same way I deal with my finances. You say Jesus, your heart can't be uh, encouraged any more than my heart can be encouraged about the future because the future looks weird right now. What difference does Jesus make? What difference does Jesus make? If you believe God, Jesus changes everything. Morality, yes. And by the way, there's a lot of people that are very troubled by this idea that there are, there are moral imperfections in the church. They say they believe Jesus. Look, the morality in that place is ugly. And they, are, they would then... Uh, accuse the church of hypocrisy, okay? I, I want to say two things to that. Number one, welcome to hypocrisy. Welcome to brokenness. Number one, there are some new believers here and there are some people here who, who, who don't have the kind of faith that, that, that is increasing and, and, and is saving and, and we're working this out. And there's a lot of people here who believe in God, but they don't believe God yet. And we're not throwing them out the back door because it's hard. There are some people here struggling. And as I open the message today, I say to you, say to you in the live stream, if you're struggling, you're in the right place, welcome. We're trying to answer these questions. We're trying to teach you and our own hearts what the word of God says. We're trying to grow and learn from it. And the other thing that I would say is we are, we are indeed uh, giving a bad example if we turn to everything the world says. And some of us believe God, but we still turn back to the advice of the world when it comes to how to live and what to do next. 
And so we're here today to learn how not to do that, right? Faith trans, it completely changes everything about your life. It changes your morality because you don't want to displease your savior. It changes your value system. There's two things I want to say in particular because we could now, we could now uh, wax eloquent for literally weeks about all the things that faith in Jesus Christ changes about our life. I'm going to mention two, okay? First one is this, the future. As you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have a growing certainty about what the future is going to look like. It's going to be, uh, on the one hand, he's going to bring peace. He's going to be with you day by day. He is going to literally, Jesus is, has sent the Holy Spirit to minister the presence of God to you day by day by day. That's going to happen in the future. And by the way, if you're a parent and you're looking around and say, well, what kind of world will, will my kids live in in the future? What is it going to be like for them? Here's my encouragement to you. It's going to be beautiful. God's going to show up. All the junk and trouble and problems and difficulty is going to shake them to the point where they have to by themselves, for themselves, hold on to Jesus every day with everything that they are. And that's way better than a little bit of morality. They're going to have to cling to him. And so the future is about peace. And so what are some other things the future uh, could be about? Well, we know in scripture, uh, Jesus is going to return one day in the future. He's going to return to a world where politics is nuts and there's uh, uh, governments and uh, rumors of wars and natural disasters. And if it's true that we are, uh, that that the end times are closer than ever, we're going to experience some of that. You're going to die. And the way you're going to get, most of us will get from where we are to death through hard, broken sickness. Now you say, well, that's a bummer. That is a big bummer. That is not why I came to church today. Here's what I'm telling you about that future. Jesus is going to be there to hold you. Jesus is going to be faithful in it and through it. And I have sat with a lot of people who are trying to avoid a hard future. And they're spending more time trying to avoid a hard future than stepping into believing God. Don't spend much time trying to avoid a hard future, friends. Hold on to the word of God. Believe him. It will change everything. I'm not saying that God won't answer your prayers. I'm not saying that he won't heal. I'm not saying that he won't be good to you. I am not saying that he won't provide peace and great memories and beautiful family celebrations. I'm not saying that he won't be good. I am saying that there is a future that is hard and that future is not sovereign. God is. God is. And the second application, not only about a future that we can face with confidence and with gladness and with joy, is a mission. Last week uh, in our 
in our uh, pastoral prayer time before the, the services, we prayed and uh, I remember walking out of that uh, prayer, prayer time and we were thanking God. Brad Equilin, 57 years old, was home resting from COVID, home from the hospital. Um, his son, Andrew, is in the back of the room and was playing uh, guitar up here uh, today. Monday night, he went back into ICU, and by Tuesday at lunchtime, they said, uh, Brad, we don't have any further way to treat you. You're going to die. Tuesday night, I sat with Brad in the ICU room at Memorial, and he said, I, I want you to tell the church three, three things. Number one, thank them for praying for me. I felt every one of the prayers. God helped me from at noon when they told me I was going from hope to get better to hospice from noon till I talked to him at six o'clock at 5.30 that night. He had totally changed his perspective and said, okay, if this is where I'm going, okay. He said, number two, I want you to tell him this. My COVID was an on-ramp. I love that he used that phrase, Gare. It was an on-ramp for my kids. It was an on-ramp in my mind to think about my life. It was an on-ramp to all of these medical personnel. And he said, I've done everything I can in these last days, being sick in and out of the hospital, and now to this point where death is coming for me, and I know it's coming for me. Done everything I can to tell everybody who will listen, God is real, Jesus is enough, trust him. And, I, and, and when they wouldn't listen to me about God, I would just encourage them and encourage them and encourage them. Find the thing you're good at. Keep going. Be a moving vessel. Go forward together. And so that's the third thing he told me. Be intense. I've been using these phrases from Brad and you didn't know it, but here's the phrases. Don't spend your life on stupid stuff. When, Brad, when I talked to Brad, he had 10 hours to live. Be intense because you don't know how much time you have. And we would say, believe God. The promise depends on faith. Believe God. Believe that he is who he says he is. Believe the fullness of his word. Happily turn the spotlight on him and then be on mission. God's called you to a mission with your giftedness, with your few days, with your mist rising from the tea kettle, going from here to there. God's called you to a mission. And it's not to say you can't, that, that, that every moment has got to, be, got to be spent memorizing God's word or doing some, some religious activity. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is invest your life in the mission that matters from God for you today. And we'll have Brad's funeral next Sunday. And we praise God for faithfulness. Guys, we're not here to tell you, okay, guess what? You're going to die, but God's there with you. That, that's not what we're about. We're about peace. We're about grace. We're about belief. This promise is about truth and reality. When I believe God, I can stop working and trying to control every detail. 
When I believe God, I can come clean about my own weaknesses and shortcomings. When I believe God, I can believe that God forgives me for cosmic rebellion against the holy king of the universe. And I can forgive my dad, my mom for the stuff that happened to me in my childhood. I can forgive my kids. I can forgive my friends. I can forgive the people around me. When I believe that that God loves and accepts me, I can stop needing it so desperately from someone else can believe that he loves me. When I believe that God loves my kids more than me, I can stop trying to control their every decision. When I believe that only God makes me righteous, I will step into that and treasure him with all that I am. When I believe that the future is controlled by a beautiful sovereign God, I will pray like that. When I believe that God will take me to heaven, I no longer fear death. When I believe that every one of God's promises finds their yes in Jesus, I cling to him with everything I am. And that's what Christmas is about, my friends. We studied the Old Testament to see that it was going to be this Bethlehem. It was going to be Mary the Virgin. It was going to be accompanied by John the Baptist. It was going to be a worldwide kingdom. And now here we are living in this and we're on mission going out together. And we're here to say saving faith does one thing. Believe God. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, you're going to make us morally better, but you you won't be more pleased with us because we work hard. And so I pray for us in this moment that like Abraham, we will see it's not about working, it's about believing. And when we believe you'll have plenty of work for us to do. I pray for Andrew, for Andrea, for Maggie, for Wendy. And Lord, in this room right now, we look back on 2021 and I pray for everyone who lost a loved one this year. I see tears all around the room. a new season. And as a pastor, Gary, myself, and Aaron, Robert, we're praying this. Would you prove yourself strong to the brokenhearted in this new season? Would you show the world that Jesus is enough? Would you help us? For the one that's just off of celebrating Christmas, without all the chairs full. I pray that you would be sufficient in our hearts and lives. And I pray that you would help us persist in believing you, believing you with all of our heart and mind and soul. Dismiss us with your blessing and may 2022 be a year where we are on mission, letting people know, as Brad said, we are not gonna be about doing stupid stuff. We are intense on mission, glorifying your name by believing you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.